And hello, we're live. This is uh, 2020-09-23, episode 21. And, uh... I was so close. You were so close to what? Getting the, um... Or... I almost had the music down pat, and then also I accidentally click on the uh, uh, music uh, volume thing on the th on YouTube, and it just <laughs> makes it back louder. Uh, okay, so you're still struggling with the volume fade. I'm having fun, yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, so uh, I I do have a whole lot of administrivia to talk about, and I want to save that for segment three. Um, I want to I want to start with uh, my recent experiences with anger management of all things, and it's it's a phrase that I'm probably going to have to learn because when I started talking to people about um, when I started talking to them about diet and my changes in irritability, and they're like, I I, I eventually got around. Why are you messaging me? What do you what do you mean? Just say words. You thought, uh, there, I'm just doing a game in an AFK state while we're doing our podcast. Right, right. I was hearing beat em up sounds in the middle of the music entering in. Yeah, that was it. And okay. I, I thought I turned the sounds off. Now I did. Yeah, okay. So, great. Thanks. <laughs> not not actually important. Um, okay. So I, I ended up talking to a bunch of people and uh, one of my friends said, well, there's anger management. You can go in here. And, I, and he poked around and I got a referral to a place I'm like, you yeah, just go in here and you could just have to just drop in. I'm like, dude, it's it. This is not an intervention. <laughs> it's OK. Really, it is. It's just irritability because of pasta so far i don't i don't know what's going on i think it might also be related to just a a rice lentil dish that i was living on for a long time and uh so so yeah so I, i've got that possibility in my in my toolkit so to speak <laughs> so like there was a time when uh right the very beginning of me hurting my back and i haven't told that full story very well but, uh, you know, you get old and it's lower back. It's, it's L1, L2 is doing the Pac-Man thing. And I've got a bulge and all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's stuff that, that is more or less manageable by sleeping badly. And ba way back in the early days when that was still being diagnosed and I was getting a, a CT scan and all this kind of stuff, just to, just cause I had access to that stuff. It wasn't really necessary, but I thought it was a fun experience and uh, one of the one of the options I had was uh, to have injections of uh, steroids, <laughs> and the thing is, one of the side effects of those injections is uh, anger. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, even at the time, I knew that would be a bad idea, even though it might have a quote unquote might have right might have helped the healing process. <laughs> Sometimes there are there's a risk reward thing happening there. And I, I have free access to that. I, again, we're in Canada. And I, so I, I knew who to go to, what to do, etc. But mm, yeah, yeah. 
I'm really glad now. I was thinking of doing that and just posting up signs, like a sign on the inside of my door that said, you are angry. <laughs> I'd probably ignore it if I was angry, but you know, at least, at least I tried to help myself. My past self tries and then post up like meet everybody around me and tell them what's going on. Like put a sign on my front door and stuff. Angry person lives here. He's on steroids. Don't, uh, don't do not antagonize. Don't feed the troll. I'd have to get off the internet. If I ever had like serious irritability plus steroids or something like that, I, I have to get off of social media as a start. Not that I've ever really been on it, but I couldn't even, I, even especially in these times, considering how bad and trollish and dumb everything has become, it's I'd uh, there's no way that I could survive beyond the internet without raging so completely, and I don't know how that would even vent itself. Would I be like sitting there, uh, obsessing over making like counter memes, <laughs> or would I be typing? And, and trying to get angry using words. Would I be eloquent if I was really angry in words? <laughs> Would I be, you know, you see on the internet these people that just seem like inarticulate idiots and they're just really mad about something. They don't, they, they're not explaining why very well. It's just some sort of resistance to whatever they're uh, whatever they're experiencing or whoever, like they get mad at the messenger. I'm, I'm wondering if that's what I would become. I would just be another one of their statistic going in there and you are wrong in all caps and having just, I, I, this is one of the things that helps me cope with the internet is I learned that if somebody is typing it, so if I'm reading something, somebody says, even if it's directed at me, even if it's about something I just did. So it's like, it's topical, right? Those are the things you would normally pay attention to, as opposed to just somebody like who's here in 2020, this kind of stuff and comments that are, that are on, like, if it's directed at you, you tend to pay more attention to it. What I've learned as a coping mechanism is whenever I see somebody's text and it's just a wall and it doesn't have line breaks, I know it's safe to ignore because that comes from a sort of person who uh, can't think right, who can't like take their ideas and wrap them up properly and present them with breathing in the writing, right? So it's just one giant rambly scream. Now I'm wondering, you know, having thought about that, I'm wondering if that's the right thing to do because a, maybe that person it's just inarticulate and maybe that person is inarticulate because of some sort of passion on a topic. It could be, could be possible, right? I haven't experienced that myself. I have, uh, I mean, I am the sort, like I've met people that they are not bothered by typos or by grammar problems. And that sort, like people make fun of those who will nitpick, I suppose. You know, we call them grammar Nazis. That's kind of that, that joke. Um, but, but I'm wondering more and more if there are just a couple of different kinds of people with a lot of things. It's not just that there's a dichotomy of being bothered and not being bothered by grammar. It's, I think that there are some people who legitimately don't see things, don't see text in that way. And, and literally just 
they don't see that. They don't see the typos. They read past them. And some people will read and will get stuck on them and might obsess a little bit on them. It would be bothersome. And I, I knew this guy. I knew this one guy. So I'd come over to his house and he, he was, he was religious. He was highly religious. Uh, and I mean, he was religious in that he would break out the Bible and he would have, so he's Christian. So you break out the Bible. He would have study times on his own and would be taking notes and, you know, th that sort. He was, and I, I, I ribbed him cause I'm not a Christian. So I ribbed him and I'm like, are you, at one point I'm like, are you even, <laughs> cause the joke is it, it goes something like you're religious until you read your holy works, which isn't, which isn't actually true. And, it and he's like, oh yeah, I, I totally am. I'm reading it. And, uh, so I, I'm walking back how antagonistic I am, but I remember going over to his place and he has one of these, Oh, pardon my bumping. I remember going over to his place and I was reading and he had one of these like needlework, uh, it's not like a prayer, but it's, it's text. So it's need to work text. And it's right up at the top of the stairs. It's one of these kind of like, uh, the entrance to a home thing, uh, already has that presence. You know, there, there are some people that would have a welcome mat or some people that will have, uh, something on their door, you know, like a, a, a greeting of some kind that begins a sort of spirit for the household so that that embrace and well this is kind of the intent of what he had hanging on the wall and i remember i had just had to glance at it so for first is at the time i was i was like i said rather antagonistic i got better but at the time i was rather you know i would be quite mean and and this, this started translating into the real world just enough. I don't have enough people that, or at the, at the time, enough people that were religious and public about it so that I had interactions. It was all this online stuff. And at the time, and we're talking like early 2000s, at the time, it, it was a very strong online, it, it was a polite war that was going on and some of it would filter down into real world at any rate. I was always this kind of, uh, I don't know. You know, I had always resist a lot of stuff. The younger kind of that type. Anyhow, I go up to the stairs. I would just glance at this thing and I would only have to glance and I would see the typo. And I am certain that this guy, like somebody made that <laughs> <laughs> and then this, the household would walk up those stairs every day. <laughs> you know, you come inside and there's like a little set of stairs, um, that it leads to all the bedrooms and the kitchen and stuff like that. And so it had that upstairs suite thing happening and it was right up there. And it, because it was meant to be the, it set the mood for the household as people come in, it was something that gets looked at a lot. And over all that time, you think somebody would read it. And that over all that time of reading it, somebody would see the typo. But no, <laughs> I never pointed it out though. I never did. I would consider that to be pretty rude, but it does occur to me that there are, there is a sort that both won't see it. And if it's pointed out, 
they won't mind. It's, it's there and there, right? It's, it's that's that's it's all these things, a misplaced thing, a, a messed up letter somewhere, you know, a regular typo typo or a, uh, semi or, um, or like a quote or like a hyphen that doesn't quite make sense or all this kind of stuff. It just doesn't occur to uh, an entire, I, I don't know. I, I know how to explain it a much more, let's call it accurately. But when you start categorizing people, you start making assumptions based on those trends and uh, humans aren't really ready to understand how to do that, how to do that properly. Everything's already, yeah, you, one side doesn't see the other, right? So it was a very, very difficult thing for me over the years to understand that there can be another sort of, let's call it writer. And so when I'm reading this stuff on the internet, I see these giant walls of ranty text. I now have to pause and think whether or not I'm actually in the frame of mind to care, to care either about that person or what that person has to say. Because if I've, if what they're responding to is something that I've really deeply thought about and I've already heard, uh, not necessarily opposing viewpoints, that's not quite the way of saying it, but I've, I have listened to enough of the various philosophies to have come up with my own perspective to kind of cherry picked from, it's like being in the crowd, listening to an argument. And again, argument means people with antagonistic viewpoints, not people who are antagonistic to one another. It doesn't mean heated argument. So imagine being a third person listening to this and then forming your own opinion. That's kind of the way I work with a lot of stuff. And if somebody's responding to me after I've done all that, I'd it doesn't really, unless they're somehow more articulate than one of those original sources, it, they don't actually matter. It, it sounds weird, but if I need to mentally justify downgrading the importance of seeing that wall of text, I can do that easily enough if I have already done that background work. If I haven't, then they represent an opportunity a really challenging one to actually read one of these rambly, inarticulate, you know, from the sort that isn't very good with words and doesn't notice grammar problems and wouldn't notice the problem of not having paragraphs. And so I'll, I'll break out my writer hat. So when you're when you are loosely talking about stuff, like you're not writing fiction, when you're loosely writing something, Understanding the need of paragraphs and understanding what sentences are for and do means you constrain ideas, points to paragraphs. And if you don't know how to do that, then your point will be scattered throughout too many sentences or be just, it'll be inarticulate. And I keep using that word, but there needs to be one solid point per sentence and one overarching idea for a paragraph. And if you need multiple paragraphs, that means you have multiple things to say. And, and if you're using one large paragraph, it usually means that you haven't thought about the, 
the topic enough. You haven't, if you can't be concise, then the problem is going to be on your end. You, you need to go and find other people who are more articulate, possibly quote them and then source them, or just learn and become a better thinker before you try to, like, we got a lot of people out there on the internet who are just normal, right? I don't want to say average, but I, I want to say typical. And we have people out there, we have had people out there who are the greats that have moved ideas forward into our culture or into humanity or what have you. And far too many people play pretend that they can use their own words and be effective. Uh, far too many of those people don't know to reach back for that other stuff. And far too many people reach back for that other stuff and then play pretend like it's them speaking those ideas. So it's, it's really weird. There ends up being this argument from authority where people will uh, convey stuff and play pretend like they're smart because they're citing some one of those people. So th there's this weird problem of why would I listen to somebody talking? Why would I listen to somebody talking about some idea if somebody smarter and more articulate has already done that and I can just go to the source? It's like, well, that person wants to f feel like a vote in that the number of people that, that feel that thing that agree with that idea. Well, what do I care? They could just, <laughs> they could just say it then unjustify then, then not justify it and then point at their philosopher or whatever the heck and go, see? <laughs> and I'd be like, okay. And go, go read the original works and then come back and be like, did you read this? This is kind of bad. Um, and so a lot of the, the faux intellectual conversation that happens very frequently on the internet, uh, doesn't need to happen at all. It just, it just, people want to share that they feel these feelings and then they reach into the wealth of intellect in humanity's history and 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 have those people back them and for some reason like so much communication online seems incredibly unnecessary um i i, I don't know i don't know it's like that's the argument that goes something like, um, Shakespeare has told all the stories there are to tell and everything else is just variations on those themes. Not that Shakespeare originated those ideas, uh, or anything like that. But this, this is, again, this is some phrase from some great person who I can't even remember. I can look that up. I suppose it doesn't really matter, but I could say that I could say Shakespeare is all great and all that, but uh, that would never obsolete the importance of reading newer literature and not just because it's contemporized to our language, our current version of English, which, which is getting really weird, by the way, <laughs> having seen the rise of the internet, I got to say language is really suffering really badly. Uh, all the, uh, and not, I'm not just ribbing on, uh, emojis or previously emoticons, but the, there is, it's not just acronyms either, but there is stuff in text that is um, just off. 
But I, that's fine. That's like that's like working class accents. It doesn't really bother me. It's an inevitability. So I don't mind that people are like using Tumblrisms to talk, or they're using as long as people aren't using AOL speak. I'm I'm hoping nobody knows what the heck that is. I would be so happy if everybody forgot what AOL speak was and never did it ever again. What's wrong with AOL speak? Do you even know what that is? Instant messenger chat, quick chats. Uh, it's it's a specific. So it was the children of the rise of AOL, which is very, it was just like, you know, dial up internet. And there was a lot of live text chatting and stuff like that. So it did involve plenty of the acronyms and stuff like that that we're seeing these days. But AOL speak is specific when, specifically when people think it's cool to use numbers and letters and just mix them together. <laughs> so you get, you get this just nasty busted words and, and that bothers me like bad it's bad spelling for me. So you got like ideas like LEET, L33T and stuff like that. It, it's not only is it a, a broken word, but it's also a typoed word, essentially. So th this is the, the legacy of kids who thought it was basically they hadn't used a keyboard before getting access to this very uh it's i can't call it a walled garden because because it's not a garden it well was not a garden but it was a very constrained beginner accessible thing and so it was it had its it had its own it used the structure the infrastructure of the internet to have communication but it it was hard for people to to get out of that box so it had its own kind of search engine interface and it had its own inst instant chat stuff and it it's had its own you got mail interface and it's so it was it it thankfully uh stayed in its little cell in its little prison it didn't really make it out but some of those people kind of did and some of that kind of uh that poison made it out into the adult internet but it it became unfashionable a lot of those methods of communication have become unfashionable so now what do we have like the well twitter is different now because they increased the character limit by a lot i can't remember what it used to be but it was it was a stupid little amount it was, but now it's like microblogging. You have just enough to inarticulately put one point across, which is the worst idea. And then, uh, yeah. And again, I like paragraphs and Twitter requires paragraphs because you can only have so much per tweet, but you can't have complete ideas without tweeting and replying to yourself. So you end up with like one slash and then another reply to yourself two slash and you don't know how long your your own point is going to be and people will actually type this stuff live <laughs> like they'll be working on their idea as they're tweeting and and if if i don't know how many people will actually sit down and write full ideas out and then rewrite it once because you can get it's part of the beauty of english too in the middle of a sentence but you can write down ideas and then 
realize you're wrong three paragraphs into an idea and have to like revise what you were talking about. And you can't do that either live. Well, you can do that live. People are a little more forgiving about that unless they're antagonistic and want to interrupt. But with a chain of tweets, like why? I, I don't understand why people would try to actually like talk to other people about things that mattered using Twitter when you can't form a thought and completely and then put it out there. It's just like kind of broken one tweet after the other. And that's for the people who are not necessarily capable, but that who want to, to give more. There's plenty of people who will only ever need that one tweet to go, ha ha ha, you were wrong because X or you are the best. This is great. <laughs> or, some, or just share a picture maybe. Um, and Twitter is just a whole lot of that. And I know people, it's, that's, what's weird. I like, I've got a Twitter, but I don't understand like why, why would I fall? Maybe I should admit to something like this, but why would I follow a publisher like a book publisher? Okay. So I can get announcements for the latest releases, but like, why would I follow Pepsi? Again, this show is not sponsored by Pepsi. <laughs> so why, why would I follow a corporation? Why would I follow a product? What, why do they have like a little Facebook logo on their packaging as though I would, I would like buy something and then go, Oh my, these guys have an Instagram. <laughs> I should go check that out. Like what, why? And there's so much of the internet that's full of like somebody somewhere went to college, got a piece of paper saying, oh, I'm really good at this. And then some company hired that person thinking, well, we need an expert with this internet thing. Uh, we'll just hire this person that has this piece of paperwork, I guess, shrug. And then that person has to justify their existence. So it's like, I, I, I guess it's kind of funny that Wendy's has a social media presence. Like, I guess it's kind of funny that McDonald's does, but why? Okay. Like if I want to go there and find out about the latest and greatest of whatever the heck burger or something, I guess, but why would I subscribe to that? Cause it's funny. Like That only really gets me so far. It's not like funny, like a comedian funny. It's funny. Like, oh man, just, it's kind of cringy for me. Um, Okay, I don't want to switch topics because that's all just dumb, dumb internet-y stuff. Um, I do, I want to talk about, uh, so it's it's kind of related. So I've talked about the idea of, of writing ideas down before going to sleep. And if you get ideas while kind of asleep, like even when lying down with your eyes closed, I'm like this. I don't really sleep, sleep. And it takes me a long time to go pseudo unconscious. And if I've got ideas, we have this, this trust in our memory because we're all, we're, we think we're all there as we're falling asleep, but we're really not. And pieces of our mind shut down and they, for some people, their mind shuts down in, uh, in pieces, right? Like some people you will know when you wake up, you're not all there yet. Uh, for me, I'm all there when I wake up, as soon as I wake up. 
but as I'm falling asleep, I, I fall asleep in pieces. And some of the pieces are very much like in the dream state, where if you've had dreams vivid enough that you know, um, if you have these sorts of dreams, you will know things like you're not literate in your dreams. I don't know how many people know that <laughs> because that piece of your brain is sleeping. And something like that happens as you're falling to sleep, where the part of your brain that actually has real access to memory that would survive sleep, it's, it's already gone. <laughs> so you have short-term memory, and that short-term memory is like, yeah, I've got long-term memory, don't worry about it. And you try to commit something to memory, you keyword it, you flag it, you whatever the heck, you're like, um, this is so important. The next time I go to the bathroom and I'm, I'm brushing my teeth, like I'll know as soon as I pull the drawer out that I need to do this to fix the squeaky wheel on it. Of course, <laughs> you fall asleep, you wake up, you go through your life and it never occurs to you again because you never had access to that, that bit of long-term memory necessary to survive sleep. But you had enough of your brain going that it kind of it went, well, of course I'm, I'm all here, but it's, but you're not. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of the idea of having a notebook next to your bed. If you're just full of ideas, especially if it's your job or if it's your passion somehow to have ideas. So for example, for this podcast, maybe what I would do is I would have, um, I would have like a notebook and just all the time, I would be writing stuff down be like, hey, this is kind of cool. Maybe I'll talk about this. And I kind of did that with, with this particular point that I'm talking about right now. And, and so you might have that if so, if you're a writer, for example, you might need a notebook next to your bed and actually develop the practice of not trusting your own, your own memory, like not assuming that you're sane ever at any time. The only thing that's sane is decent notes. And trusting that your past self had some good point to make so much so that it got written down. So that you're in the future and you're looking through your notebook that you just trust that something, there was some value there and pause and kind of think about it. If you were too inarticulate falling to sleep that you, that you kind of got out and, and you just wrote a few things and you wake up the next day and it's like, it doesn't make any sense. It, trust that it mattered enough for you to actually delay falling asleep to write that down, like trust that it has value. And so I, there's another version of that. And I, I got it. Okay. I get advice from the so-called greats in writing that get interviewed. And one of them, he was talking about the, how you should, how a writer should read should read more than they write, which I still can't do, but I'm trying. I mean, I've got an e-reader and you, you, I get specialized devices to focus on certain ideas. So I have an e-reader. It's just over here. It's a Kobo Aura one. I mean, it's fairly well recommended. I've got a little bit of weird washy colory thing in the backlighting, but it's waterproof. It's small. I don't like some of the interface and I don't know how to get a hold of the developers to actually help them make one simple change that I need because I got a big hand and I kind of grasp stuff out right into the middle of the page. As I'm reading the top half, I'm grasping the bottom half. So I don't want touching to mean anything down there as I'm reading. So, so I need certain adjustments, but their interface doesn't have that. 
Anyway, anyway, so I have that for reading. And one of the notions that, that these greats in writing have, uh, well, one of the notions that they would advise is, is reading, but what to read and when to read. They're like, well, this one guy says, well, every day you should read uh, one short story, one poem, one speech, one, and it, it's like, okay, well, well, can I get some specifics? So I've got like uh, the speeches from, uh, there's like, if you Google for great speeches, you'll find first off, maybe you'll think it's inappropriate for, for contemporary stuff, but you'll find great political speeches. Um, and those tend to be available because they're generally speaking, they're public domain. So, uh, or they're the equivalent of CC zero and a lot of them are old and, but a lot of them are old and articulate. So the, the old English quote unquote old English is still accessible enough today for it to be valuable to read. So, I mean, you have access to that. Well, what about short stories? Well, where do you get those? Well, there are communities with people writing short stories that are current that you're allowed to go and get. Maybe your e-reader has internet access, but it's really important that you prepare all this stuff ahead of time. So you can just refer to it and just be in that mode without having even one single extra step, without even having one extra step that is going to a bookmark and then looking for these things. You would ahead of time prepare a little list and just have a bookmark to every single story directly, or you would download it or whatever. Okay, so short story poems, uh, shrug. I don't like and I don't respect poetry. It makes no sense to me. And maybe that's my problem is I need to sit there and kind of, well, and that's my other problem. I have to study them. I can't read them and I can't understand them because it's flowery nonsense. And it's the same thing. Like I can like a piece of music, but I, I won't hear the lyrics as I'm listening to the song. And if I do figure out the lyrics, if I go and look at the lyrics, if I get like, uh, there are lyrics videos and some of them are official these days. And if I look at those, uh, they'll make no sense to me. And, and often it's just cause they're bad. And a lot of music is just, if you want to study music, a lot of music is just dumb. It's just <laughs> a, lot, a lot of the words are just dumb. Uh, they'll be great for other reasons, but certainly not for the quote unquote poetry. So this guy, you know, you got to respect when the, the so-called greats give advice, uh, yeah, I don't, but you know, whatever, I'll listen at least I'll listen, experience some stuff myself, and then I'll understand why something doesn't work for me or why that like it, it, it is possible that somebody who is successful will give you bad advice. Okay. It is totally possible. And you must not like even listening to my advice, if I ever give advice is I, I will not only be wrong, I can be wrong for you, and I can be inarticulate, and you can misunderstand, and all manner of stuff. Things just won't apply to everybody. But I'm listening to this guy. It says, read all this stuff. You know, before you, before you go to bed, read all this stuff. This is how it works. But no. But no, it does not work that way. So that person's got a special brain, obviously. Like, this is somebody who, who... Uh, without the 
mentoring of a community was first to write in this manner. Okay. So there was something within that person that, that did these unique things. Okay. It's not that they borrowed from other stuff necessarily, although obviously they did, especially if they say that one of their, their tools is to read all this other stuff. Obviously they're borrowing from all this other stuff. They're learning. Okay. Uh, lost my train of thought. Okay. So, so this person is different because I know about myself that if I'm falling asleep, if I'm going to bed, like there's this prep time and then certain bits of me start shutting down. Well, what's the point of me reading all this stuff and then going to bed? Like I'm going to read all this stuff, go to bed, have it kind of like fall apart. Cause it's not going to go into the kind of memory that that, that other guy has access to. Like I know how I work, right? I can listen to that advice and I can understand that advice works for that person and maybe that kind of person. And I should think like that and it's okay. I'm, I'm not like other people. I'm myself. Maybe I don't have a big demographic if you want to think of it that way. Maybe I'm quite unique. Maybe I've got, you know, I've got my problems. I've got my, my limitations. Well, I can still take that advice and I can say, well, may, I can't do it when, as I'm going to bed. I can't do it in the, in the, the hours leading up to bed because it takes me hours to wind down. Well, maybe I, maybe I need to do it first thing in the morning. Maybe I need to wake up and not even go use the bathroom, sit cross-legged. And maybe that needs to be part of my dusting my brain off. Some people they'll wake up right away and they'll go have a shower and have a cup of coffee. Some people will work out first thing in the morning and then do all that. And, and maybe I should do that too. And that's what wakes them up. I don't, I don't need that. I've, I'm all there, but maybe, maybe what I need to do is read some stuff. Maybe, maybe I can only do speeches. Maybe that's the most effective thing for me. And uh, because, you know, anything to avoid poetry, it's like, it's like eating your greens when you're eight. Yeah, I don't really want to. <laughs> I love broccoli. So and I currently love spinach, so that's not a very good excuse for me, but there's a literary equivalent of poetry is just, uh, man, it's just awful. I'm never going to not like poetry. Um, so, but maybe what's effective for me would end up being, yes, reading, but maybe certain kinds of kind of motive, like politically motivational speeches first thing in the morning. And then I've got the entire day to mull over ideas and maybe because those were very articulate, possibly successful ideas, I would have the entire day of mentally challenging myself to struggle with these ideas. And maybe that's the gateway into becoming a more articulate speaker, writer, or whatever. Maybe you, the listener, would have some similar experience. Maybe what motivates you and really gives you, like, wakes your the, the childish side of you, the dreamer in you is waking up and reading a, a chunk more, a chapter of a book, a short story, listening to music for all that matters. Like if that's your industry, maybe that's the first thing is, is you were introduced to a set of bands and you skimmed and went, this is, this is good enough. I should check this out more seriously. First thing in the morning, you wake up, 
you listen to one song every morning you listen to one song maybe that's your thing because that's your it's your business to understand this stuff maybe you're a dj and you do remixes and you want to you want to troll through what's available you want to audit things and then pick your next hit right but in order to do that you have to listen to this stuff and everybody will say well you just need to sit down close the door and for one hour no matter what you should listen to music and take notes like this well maybe maybe no maybe first thing in the morning you listen to one song and then you get on with your day and you have that that tone that style ringing through your head and you know you you have one other song but you have one other song in 20 minutes and you have another song you know, in with a break in between. Yeah. There's a lot of circumstances where you're going to get advice and you, you might get advice from highly successful people, whatever that means. So like well-published people or rich people, right? Maybe that's what you call success and you want to emulate that and they give you advice. So you're like, oh, well, if I take their advice, I'll be as good as them. But no, because again, they're probably inarticulate about these things because they're successful at their thing, but maybe not because they followed their own plan. Maybe it's because of others. Maybe it's because of who they knew. Maybe it's because they were first to the, to the, they, they were first to that finish line. Like sometimes ideas are good, but, and the thing is successful only because that's the first kind of thing that got there to convey that idea. And there's actually a lot of the classic books and I'll end with this before the break. There's a lot of classic books that are bad. I've said this before, and I think it's objectively true that even in the context, uh, those, those would be bad, but the ideas were very new. Okay. So the, the method of, of communicating was new. The, the, maybe the topic was new. So you've got like the one example I've used before is Sherlock Holmes. It's not very good. It's not very good. But the ideas are, and the at, at the time in the context, what it was it was a serial of little shortish snippets that were published in a paper, and that sort of thing was was fairly incompetent at the time. And it was a it was this was an articulate author with some interesting long term story arcs with the idea of mysteries, which was kind of new, and it was an alternative to news. And people had just enough time during a lunch break to read one of these things every day. And, and that's why, and it took off because of all these reasons, because it ended up being in a paper that was interesting to working class who had their first exposure to that kind of writing through that paper who had just enough time during their lunch break, who were intrigued enough at the mystery idea, who were hand fed enough that they didn't need to be intellects to act or educated or whatever the heck to, to really follow along and really be engaged. Cause these stories, like I said, they're bad because they really handhold and they really drag the reader around. Oh, it was so painful to read as much as I could. And it's still there. It's sitting unfinished because it was just, it's pain. Man, I'm just, I am bloodied by being dragged around by the writing. And there's a, like, there's a lot of stuff 
they'll say the books are better and they're probably going to be right. But if there's a lot of movies that are adapted by books like Harry Potter, where there's a problem problem in writing where you only have so much time for a script to get it out on a screen. And you need to have a lot of these like Disney's need, Disney movies need to break down and have a music video in the middle of the damn thing. And they've, they've got to have that multiple times. That's part of the theme, etc. And, you know, these high special effects, these fantasy films that, well, they need to have those big sweeping scenes that, that show off all their effects that, that demonstrate the world. It's not acting in there. It's graphics. It's, it's the style that's being conveyed. So there's, because of all that, there's just not enough space for writing and for events and for objects. So you look at something like Harry Potter and, oh, I got a present from such and such. Oh, it's the, it's the object of whatever. And you're like, yawn, this is the special object of whatever that's going to be really important. And then a bunch of things where that thing is so super important all come up, you know, like, deus ex machina it's just given ahead of time and it's the magical thing that magically makes and it's just it's bad writing and the and so maybe the book is better i have <laughs> i've got harry potter around here somewhere and uh i didn't like what i read i need to sit <laughs> i need to sit down it's work it's just work reading this stuff i don't like it um which uh Man, what does that say about my own writing? If I like my own writing, Narcissism. but I, hmm? Narcissism? No, no, no. Um, but that's something a narcissist would say. Um, no, what does it say about me that I like my own stuff, right? What does it say about someone that they like their own stuff, but they don't like what's popular, right? It, it, something is, something may Against well be the off. Meta. They what? Against the meta. The meta, well, I... meta is what's popular, what's um, society or the community views as the best of the best at this moment. Well, I, I wouldn't consider this person like a rebellious creator necessarily, but I mean, it's it's the old if if you think everybody around you is crazy, maybe it's you. It's like, if you think only your own art is good, but not anybody else's, maybe it's you that's bad and you just can't tell. But the thing is, there's a lot of first to the gate creators that really do end up being unique and great because they are first there. They are the best that has conveyed that idea and the world just hasn't been exposed to that stuff. So there's always this you know, you are the one to bring this stuff out into the world. And that's why uh, you, everything else is a little gray and your stuff is in color, right? I get that feeling when I'm reading my own stuff versus when I'm reading somebody else's stuff. It's like, it's partly, I know there's the illusion that I think I'm, that I think highly of myself, or at least, you know, less bad. And maybe that taint how I view other stuff. Maybe I've got this like, you know, mental block that people will have when they're looking at other stuff. Maybe there's something like that. And even if I'm, even if I'm aware of it, that doesn't necessarily mean that I can, I can not fall for that, that problem. So 
it it's weird for me like to read something and and not like it when it's popular but that's the thing i know i'm not like that audience so i th i think it's safe for me to not like that the things that other people like but it's not universal so i know i'm not entirely crazy because when i read something like so i'll read i'll write something fairly intellectual fairly right there's only so much a person can do and but i'll go and i'll read like uh uh nietzsche something like that i'm like this is really good this is a <laughs> i think nietzsche is really highly accessible easy right easy reading i think it's really good <laughs> i don't know other people are going to be like what <laughs> how's that even because maybe i'm that type maybe that stuff speaks to me maybe right maybe maybe and maybe i'm a different type for all the other literature that's out there all the other ideas all the other philosophies for all that matters and uh and i click with one with one thing and maybe it's just that what i like is is not mainstream because i'm not mainstream because i'm particularly you know i'm i'm me i'm unique etc which if, which is kind of depressing I think it would be nice to blend in with the crowd and then I would have this massive, uh, this massive history of entertainment it would, would be amazing. It would just be great. Wouldn't it? If I liked everything, <laughs> if the world were made for me, but no, I'm, I'm different. And most of the mainstream entertainment is just, uh, it's insulting. <laughs> it's insulting. And it's not because I hate other people. I like, it's not because I want to resist anything or stuff like that. It's just, you know, I'm odd. Oh, well. <laughs> so anyhow, we're going to take a break. We'll be back in 10 minutes. I'll see you then. This is not a few seconds left. This is, this is a minute and a half left. Okay. I'll be, I'll be back even more back later. Oops. Uh, with the power of editing, I could change this. And I'm back. Okay, so... So, I have a note saying maybe I should talk more about folk metal. <laughs> now, uh, I, I find this to be one of the most alluring, interesting genres of, of music, let alone of metal. I mean, metal is really weird, and it goes all over the place. And music again? Hmm? Which music? Folk metal. And are we going back to Frisian again? No, we don't have to. Um I I mean, is that like you don't want to kind of tone? Uh not really, but then well, again it's like casting into the eth into the void, so it doesn't matter at this moment. Okay, so this is still you need to think more highly of everything. So a couple of things you can look, so you can look at the present and you can look at the circumstances of what's going on right now. So you can see uh, the number of trolls we have in chat and you can look at our lurkers and bots and you can, you can think in terms of how things are being presented right now, like who is being presented to, but you have to also, and this is something I tried with you, I mean, you have to understand that the future exists and that you're right now depositing things, becoming the past self for a future self. 
And your future self ought to be looking back and seeing everything as uh, steps towards what that future self became. Okay. And so you're creating something for an audience that's like a cone. It might be small now, but it will be larger later. So we're actually talking to the future. Like we're creating something that is locked temporarily, but becomes. So, so it's like the. Uh, what's that book um, of the dying guy who. I don't read, Ian so. Walsh? <laughs> Sorry? No, it Andy was the Walsh. one where the guy. Well, no, I don't think it was. Well, he had cancer and gave a gave a presentation to oh, an audience. Andy Posh? That's oh, called The Last yeah. Lecture. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, that's... Um, and then his head fake was to his children, and the presentation was actually to his children. Spoiler! Yeah, so, so I can't remember too many of the specifics, so for our, our audience, I will look this up and add the note in the description, because this is actually a really important thing. So his particular, so he's a university professor and that university, Was. well, no, forever. He, he is still in my heart. <laughs> so, uh, dead guy is dead for this presentation. He is a university professor and the tradition for that university was every year the, the professors would get together and they would have a speech and the presentation, the, the event was called the last lecture. Okay. And the idea is, so in writing, um, I cannot remember the quote, this one author, um, her quote is write as though you are dying. And this is a, this is an idea that's not going to connect with a lot of people. It's not going to connect with readers necessarily, but boy, does it co connect to archivist writers like me. And this, the idea of this lecture was like, this is your only chance, your last chance to say something to, as a professor in this circumstance, to this audience. And the audience was other professors and faculty and students. And it was being recorded. So it means the internet and all of all time, essentially. Like, so long as us archivists keep stuff going and keep stuff accessible and um, things get really weird in the future... Okay, so this guy, like he, be, this is the surprise, right? So he be, he begins the speech, but he's literally dying, and nobody knew that, as far as I know, nobody knew that, and the the speech was of format A because that format there was a constraint in the speech presentation, so there's a time constraint and there's, you know, there's there's just a general constraint with conveying it that way, but he did end up stopping like he didn't end up after the fact like this took off because it, it was good because he wrote as if he was dying because he was dying so what he wrote mattered deeply and he did it right because it was his last chance and this is why a lot of people who are dying end up having an incredibly fulfilling life because they just throw away all of the stuff that never mattered in the first place they don't they literally don't have time for all that and so this man, after the fact, yeah, things got popular, but he didn't, that wasn't what mattered anymore. Like it wasn't fame or fortune or anything. It just doesn't matter anymore. 
spending time with family and all this kind of stuff. He did end up writing a book. It's a pretty little book. Like, I mean, it's physically little. Like, you might think of a little book as being a thin book, but his was a physically <laughs> small in dimensions book, but it was pretty thick. And, and I know why, because it was kind of made for the more young hands that are going to be handling it. But the book is the book is good. The book is good enough that I'm glad I went out and bought it. And and so Minion, I do have that book, and it is much it is because of the constraints of presentation A, because of the actual speech constraints, the book constraints are very different. So he was able to take his time what time he could, right? Because his there were other priorities, but this was a priority of his. And it, it was done right to his to his estimation. And so it's worth reading. It turns out to be uh, as worth reading as the speech is worth listening to. And I can't remember the content. <laughs> I'm really bad for remembering stuff. Uh, I do something rather different. So I can't remember the content of the stuff. And when I when I learn a lot of things, and maybe a lot of people are like this, I have a problem of not, I don't learn by rote. And I, I'm really, I, I will rail on online courses and stuff like that. I'm currently doing that uh, about the idea of rote learning, which is, which is uh, a method, content, substance that you're just supposed to memorize as is. And when events occur in the world, your, your memory is just supposed to unwind and be literal and match your experiences. So, you know, you just memorize your tables in mathematics and you're just supposed to memorize it. And that's not meaningful. That's not actually how, well, that's not how the brain works. That's why new math, quote unquote, new math, which is the old style of learning math. Uh, is so effective because it's made for the way the brain works. It's not made for memorizing. Uh, it's it's made for helping you with certain patterns and techniques and stuff. And and anyway, so listening to that speech, reading this book or any other book, I don't I don't remember it. I, I it ends up modifying me and the way I see the world and the way I work. So we should recognize that we are not necessarily as unique as we might think. We are modified, uh, maybe in large part, by all of our experiences and all of the things we've learned, not necessarily the things we've been taught, the things we've learned, which is different, and the things we've taught ourselves, which is different. And, and that's the way I approach a lot of stuff is I have a hard time being taught to, but I have an easier time taking what's being taught, the intent, the structure of it, and redoing it. Because I'm a better documentation guy than anything I've ever seen, except for this one guy. Um, and uh, I will take that, I will rewrite it in a way that's simpler and that's easier and that can be referred to, which I think is really important. You know, it, it was Albert Einstein who said, why memorize something you can look up? Okay, that that's true. We have... Disk space is cheap is the expression that computer guys have. It's been an expression for a long time because honestly speaking, I can take the entirety of a library and I can put it on something the size of my thumb. Like you're, you're joking when you say I should remember that stuff. If it's just rote learning, I don't care. Rote learning can be done by a computer. I can just refer to it. 
My problem ends up being finding it all, like organizing it all, prioritizing it all. Having searches be smart, I would have to learn that side of things. I would have to rote memorize all the commands for doing the searches and stuff. And that would give me access to the whole library, to every single library in the entirety of a city easily I could fit in, in one room, right? I could probably fit all of the libraries on earth, all printed works ever done by ma mankind, including all the works forgotten, all the works that never made it to contemporary times. Everything that every human being has ever written down, I could probably fit in a house, right? That, that's how cheap space is. So why remember anything? So I just take ideas, I absorb them into myself. The, the problem is I don't necessarily know where stuff comes from. So it, it might make me seem really smart, which, which is great, which is just really great. I find it really hilarious and I find it, it's kind of self-deprecating to the person that compliments me on being smart which I've, I've met, uh, you know, more and more people recently who are like, well, like in real life, <laughs> like you're smart kind of thing. Like, dude, <laughs> you really don't know me. No, I'm not. I mean, I'm better than Minion, obviously. <laughs> but the thing about, about all of that topic is um, you, you, how would I, how would I put that? That idea was very fleeting. Um, I spent a lot of my life, like, I think, I think most youths, or maybe there's a certain type, a certain class of human, but there's a, uh, there are the rebe rebellious youths. This is an idea that's pretty straightforward. And there's a lot of, of ideologically manipulated youths. So they will be pulled into whatever trend at the time, the whatever rebellious trend at the time. And it's, it's just the same thing generation after generation, as though it's the type, it's the mindset, it's the age, uh, not the ages in the epoch, the ages in the age of the human, the ages, the age range, it's the school environment. It's maybe it's part of culture, maybe it's whatever. And there's a, uh, this is a, this is a challenging one. So my version of that. So we have a lot, nowadays it's pretty obvious. We have a lot of people who are just lost and they're, they're usually lost because, well, how contentious can I be with something like this? It's so bloody obvious. I, I mean, you, the listener, sit down, really think about what's missing, what was missing in your childhood that you have to discover on your own and how, how much of that are you discovering on your own in spite of things that have been told you? How many lies are you having to penetrate? Like a person goes through life, home, school, friends, like this entire stuff becomes an adult. Maybe, maybe not. They go someplace else. Right. And, but the people who just break and leave and, and start their own life, they have to teach themselves. They have to raise themselves. This sort will really understand, uh, but everybody else, you know, pause and, and wonder what things have been absent. What have you done to raise yourself to become who you are now? And if you've done that intentionally and not very many people have, Hey, you don't have the time. I get it. Hey, you don't have the resources. You never had the idea. You've been too busy. Like, fine. I, to I totally understand. I had the free time that I 
paused many, many times and wondered, like, what's going on? Like, what is this? Like, what even is this life thing? Like, <laughs> when I was a little kid, I often wondered, like, why are adults all like this? <laughs> Nobody seems happy. <laughs> they just don't get it. They don't understand the experience of life. <laughs> You know, that's the, the innocence of youth that thinks like that. But I was right. I was right a whole long. You adults just don't understand. And so I spent a lot of time wanting to be smarter and not even knowing what that is, because I don't think anybody does. Um, and I have, it's been a while and I've, you know, the last couple of years have figured it out. And it's the thing that, you know, people will compliment me and people will compliment me. And again, I, I, I've been around smarter people than me. And they're like, Hey, you're, you remind me of, of me when I was younger or, Hey, that's, uh, and I'm like getting a compliment from somebody you really deeply respect is just the strangest experience. You get like the little, it must be the little experience inside a groupie. You'd <laughs> be like, oh my God, you're my favorite. And there's just this feeling inside. And I kind of get like that because I totally want to resist the idea of, I'm, I, I am not the peer of the people that I look up to. Like maybe I set my sights really, really weird. Um, and, and certainly it's like, if, if, if because I'm a tech, so in the programming world and the technological world, I've, I have act, I have direct access to some of the people that I had thought were completely inaccessible because they were so beyond my skill level, and it's really weird because I, I literally got to talk to one of my, I, I knew the guy's name, and I knew his work, like I really knew it, and. And I got to talk with him and it, I didn't get to talk with him because it went out of my way. I got to talk with him because he invited me to go talk with him. <laughs> like, wow. But it's just a regular guy. Like everybody's just a regular person, right? Um, and, uh, and I get compliments like that. I'm not qualified. So I've always wondered, how do you, what do you do to make yourself better? Like, what do you do to get smart like these other people? Like, how, like, are they just born like that? I'm, I was never a good student. So how do I, like, they learn a bunch of stuff. They know a bunch of stuff. They can do a bunch of stuff. Isn't that how it works? It turns out, no. So I've, I've read, I was a really good reader at one point, but just not anymore. So I would sit down, I'd read all the great works of philosophy and stuff like that. But I wouldn't read all the contemporary Western philosophies. I'd like, I still have a copy of The Art of War. <laughs> and I, it, it's a good book. It's a good book. I recommend it. I recommend understanding it from a deep level uh, because you don't take it literally. You, you take it, you take it like a bit of scripture where there's stuff, there's stuff you understand and it is, uh, it is beyond the topic. But there's another book called The Second Art of War. That's what it was presented to me as. But it's also called The Art of War by, um, by it's like a distant cousin, a descendant of the original author, or that was his claim. But it was even better. And I can't remember it because, as I said, I kind of absorbed it. 
But uh, I did get another copy of it. Ooh, boy, was it hard to find. A Sun Bin, that's the name of that guy. And uh, I would recommend hunting that one down. And at any rate, so the one thing that I've learned that a person can do on purpose and that would actually work to quote unquote make you smarter, okay, is to become more eloquent. It's the strangest idea, I suppose. It should be obvious, which is you need the ability to, to take in ideas and to teach yourself those ideas articulately in your own context for yourself. You need to be able to listen. Like I've said before, that I might be able to I, I, I've listened to two hours and hours and hours and, you know, I've watched videos and lectures and explanations, tutorials, all this kind of stuff. And I, I can't memorize it. I would just, I would get it. It would kind of trickle in a little bit and I'd know enough to at least search through the topic from that point on. It would eventually fade, but it would become one of my deep, deep memories that if that topic became interesting enough, I'd be able to pull up the ability to search for the rest of the stuff that I would need to know to get up to speed to become a beginner, a solid beginner. So I'm like, now my understanding of component level motherboard repair for Apple laptops is kind of gone, but somewhere in me, I would, I would be able to get up to speed and, and just know stuff and know stuff and be able to go and refer to, you know, hundreds of hours of video and do things, right? So if I want to start a business or something like that, repairing idiot Apple owners, bending their, their phones, cause they put them in a back pocket. Women do that. Why? No front pockets, right? And if they don't want to carry a purse and that's, but that's where phone goes. And every once in a while. Just every once in a while, every occasional person will sit and will bend their phone, will crack a screen, will pop off a couple of little components inside. And, uh, you know, theoretically speaking, right? So there is the idea of taking the stuff you learn, not necessarily by rote, and then figuring out how to rearrange it to teach it to yourself. And that's what I've been doing. And then there's the notion of external eloquence where you take that because it's because a lot of the heavy lifting has been done for you to learn it in the first place to teach it to yourself. So you take all that and you figure out how to do it kind of in reverse. So it goes the other way. So it goes from you, from some reasonable understanding to eloquence to convey it. And I've done that. I started that with documentation, with, with writing. And part of that, part of that is, uh, I would try a piece of software and I knew that was the correct piece of software to solve my problem. I knew it. And, uh, but the documentation for the software, the software didn't, it, it wasn't helping me out. It was hard. And so I would take notes and I would figure it out and I would take notes and I would experiment and I wouldn't just experiment until I solved my problem. I would experiment until I got good documentation. So good that a future version of myself that forgot how to do it would just be able to read my notes and then do it. And that becomes a kind of eloquence. And if you can do that spoken, then you can convey the ideas that made you, you, that you kind of taught yourself, that you've gone through, that you've listened to 
and it kind of becomes a part of you. You can convey it out to somebody else. It, it could be something as simple as, you know, why did you paint that room that color? Well, if you've got some reasonable eloquence because you, you studied the topic and you thought about it, I mean, you looked at a bunch of color swatches, but you learned something. And I'll totally talk about this in the audio side of things in third segment. The, 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 there's a version of, of uh, arranging your room in a certain way for, let's say, paint, which is you don't just take your color swatches and you hold them up to the light, right? You go to the room, you hold it up to the wall, and you look at one after the other after the other. And then what you do is you open your curtains and then you do it again. And you look around the room from wall to wall, understanding where the sunlight is falling and holding the color up against the wall or holding it up nearer to your face, tilting it and, and turning around the room, you know, the panoramic view with that color. You close the curtains again. If you have blackout curtains, it helps a lot. And you see what it looks like in all these contexts. And maybe you bumped into some blog post that talked about this, some video that showed this. And that was part of your learning experience. And well after the fact, somebody tells you, like, this is a really interesting color. Like, I, I, what made you pick this color? This, this just doesn't seem like you. I mean, I always thought you, were, you would paint your room peach but it's orange. Like that's odd. And you could say after having learned it, after gaining the eloquence, you, you would explain all of that. You know, it's a version of how you learned everything that was packaged up. And now you've got that tiny, tiny version of it made just for you of what you did. And you can convey that. And it comes across like you're really smart about the topic. You're not, but your, your, uh, your experience of learning it in the first place is uh, just it's just little and really customized to you enough that it can be packed into your memory somewhere. You can you can take some pride and have a story there, and you can convey that story to somebody else, and it makes you really interesting to listen to at least. And then I've done this for so many things. That's why I just need bullet points for talking about this stuff, and then like. Somebody like Minion or one of our, one of our lurkers can de-lurk and ask something. And then I'll just, I'll have stuff because everything I've learned and experienced in life gets compacted down into this thing that can be expanded back into some story that, I mean, in some sense justifies why I did something. So like right now I could totally tell the story of why I painted one of my bedrooms marmalade. <laughs> it's because of a girl. <laughs> it's because of a girl. Uh, but I'm not going to tell enough of that story. Um, so, so, so folk metal, <laughs> that, that was about folk metal. Um, what's interesting about folk metal, so I can round off that topic is, uh, is actually, yes, uh, I could talk about Frisian because what, what's fascinating is there's old people music for a lot of languages that are kind of waning, you know, they're going to be dying sooner or later, right? Because they have a primary language in that same country or English came along and English is like just obsoleting a lot of stuff because bad English is good enough. And a lot of, of cultures have these secondary tertiary languages that are waning and all they've got is old person music. It's kind of like listening to adult contemporary 1980s music. 
it's like it's okay but it's always these kind of like old it's like that old guitar sitting on a stool with just a guitar singing in a mic in a bar it's like it's not the exciting uh it's not the experimental stuff that's happened again and again it's that safe stuff that can be played in a grocery store and it's kind of like background and it'll be like one of those head nodding oh yeah i remember this this song this is pretty nice and, but you you don't get anything good and you don't get metal <laughs> you don't get folk metal and a lot of these like as far as i know i i need to go and look i actually do want to go and look to see if there's actual folk music is that actually a thing even for canada like can we think of Canadian folk music? What is that? <laughs> is it actually Canadian? Or are we looking at British stuff? When we start saying folk, are we going to start, and it would be a lie, are we going to start looking at First Nations? Because we call them First Nations. We don't call them uh, Indians or Natives or something like that. Uh, we recognize that they were here first. <laughs> and and uh, like it would be a lie. It would be wrong for us to, as Canadians, to reach into their cultures because some of their cultures are uh, extinct or more or less extinct. Um, so they're not Canadian per se. It's they're Canadian. They're more or less hyphenated Canadians. But when there's a a kind of a fragmented, like I said, there is a waning people. That's that doesn't tend to be part of the uh, greater national folk concept, so there's not going to be folk music for that. And if there's not going to be folk music for that, the, so the idea of folk music goes like: if if I were to go up, go to a place to natives who are so their uh, native primary language as their first language maybe even their only only language they grew up there they've never traveled there so you find somebody that's really really deeply embroiled deeply uh a part of that culture that's there without trying so uh, there's a difference between that and then somebody who's learned the language and moved there fallen in love gotten married had children like there's a difference so you get somebody that's that's say in their 30s and you play folk music it will speak to that person that's what folk music is now folk metal is a contemporized more passionate version of that so if and discovering folk metal is uh is as an outsider is very much a gateway into a into a history because a lot of the of it'll be a folk song and it'll be a folk song that tells the story of old times in that region or that culture which isn't necessarily that country and uh so it's all manner of fascinating even if you don't understand the language to just hear certain kinds of passions and metal is just great i, I happen to love that as a general style and so um and the problem is I can't, like, I will have to bookmark stuff because I can't remember the names because it's not even in Latin text necessarily. Um, but there's more and more cultures that are, that are, that don't really have a folk tradition anymore or never had it in the first place. 
um, or had to discover it from old cultures that happened to have people that happened to have lived in the same kind of region as them. And then it kind of got forgotten and it gets rediscovered. Um, at any rate, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. Uh, for some reason, I have a note to talk about credit and Amazon. I have no idea what I meant. Past self was, the thing is, this was a note from like two shows ago that I never had time to talk about. So I'm not sure what I meant. So I'm, I'm at the crossroads of, do I disrespect my past self and learn the lesson, which is, which is I remove this. I say, I wasn't eloquent enough to write a decent enough note to respect my future self and, and his poor memory. <laughs> so, so this topic can be just, I'll learn the lesson and go, well, you know, too bad past self. This really wasn't that important. Was it? It's all your fault. Right. I, I blame that other guy that was, that's like two weeks older than two weeks. Yeah. I guess it would be two weeks older than me. Am I the young one? No, I'm the old one. So it would be my young self by a couple of weeks that, that didn't know any better so I can learn and move on. So credit, credit in Amazon. The heck? I don't know why I would talk about that. I mean, you shouldn't be getting a credit card through Amazon. That, that would be insane. You should always do that. You should always build those relationships right next door to your bank because you get the same person. You can pick up the phone and call. That was the weirdest thing, man. I actually kept her card for the longest time. So I, I moved and I changed banks at the same time. I didn't just change home branches, which is something you should do. If you move like to another city, you should make arrangements to change what your home branch is because there are certain uh, problems that can occur that would require you to visit the home branch if that concept exists for your bank. Like we'll have Americans here and up. American banking is just odd, but Canadians have like a handful of banks, I mean, half dozen. We've talked about this before. And then you have some, it's, it's kind of, it's large and scattered across the entire country, right? So we don't have tiny choices. So, uh, but in this case, I didn't just move my home branch. I actually changed banks and I had a home branch in the city I moved to. And, and so I kept the card of the person I talked to when I was setting up my account and all this kind of stuff for the longest time. I actually recently called, well, not recently, like probably last year, you know, go through your wallet and be like, wow, I haven't used this rewards card in forever. <laughs> right? Like I've got, oh, I don't have it on me. Of course I don't have it on me, but you get one of these like money mart from when I was a kid, I was cashing checks at a money mart and, uh, you know, it's across the street from work so I can get my money right away and not do the, the entire depositing a check at the bank kind of thing. And <clears throat> I was young and dumb and I had the card for forever when I had like a faux credit with them and I could do banking, online banking, like online purchases and stuff. And so I, I called my wallet out. It was a, it was a little walk through time. And I did that with this, with this business card from my bank. And it's weird because the, the COVID thing happened and I actually got a, I ended up getting a physical phone call from the home phone of that woman, which is a strange experience. I like, I put in a, a request online, oh man, their, their online communication system is kind of dumb. So I log in and it's got its own messaging system, kind of like a technically support ticketing system that other places have, but it's really internal to a bank. 
So it's really kind of old school and clumsy. And that's for security reasons. They do everything in-house. And so it, but it sucks. And so I put in some requests for other stuff and, and she physically calls me, which is the weirdest thing. Cause I didn't think that there would still be a relationship with that one human being that I originally talked to when I was originally setting up that account all of those years ago. And it had been years. And the only reason I remembered her name is because I had been clearing out my wallet fairly recently. And I'm like, huh, oh, I remember her. And, and I just kept the card and the number in my wallet in case I had a problem with my banking. And I need to like, I, and when you do something like that, so there's a difference between you flipping over the backside of your debit card, your credit card, and calling that number. Don't do that with your credit card. Like get the proper number because the number on the back of your credit card will probably bill, probably bill you for the call. And there's usually a second car, second number that you call that's that toll free is not the right uh, phrase, but a, a cost free number. I know that's the case with. I want to say MasterCard, but it might actually be Visa. I don't know. Anyhow, it may no longer be true. I don't, I don't really care because I never had to call them. But I kept the card, and it's a way of kind of bypassing calling that generic please hold blah, blah, blah on the back of your card. It's that calling that human at that office. And that will just, that, uh, that kind of slices through a lot of barriers. And it's not like there's, it's not like your bank would stonewall you, right? Well, but they, they are busy and they have all of the, you know, press one to speak to whatever the heck they have a lot of that nonsense that's in the way. And like, no, no, I want to just speak to a human. I got a human's card. You know, that person, the very first thing that that person's going to do is look me up and go, oh yeah, it's, and they'll, they'll play pretend like they know who I am. I, I you know. But they'll look up my record and go, oh, I was the person that spoke to you. And they'll then they'll play pretend like they're my, that they know me, the, that they like me or whatever the heck. You get better service that way. So it was a rather interesting experience to actually have that personal connection. And it's it's really important to to keep that stuff. Never, never, never abuse it. Like never have some dumb problem and then then go all the way over there. It's like, I don't think I've shared this story. Okay, so I went down the, to the corner store and it's one of these 24-7 places, right? So, you know, you're coming home from the bar or whatever the heck and it's really late and you're like, oh, hey, this place is open. And so I went there and it had a sign up and had, well, be back in 15 minutes. It had bad grammar, <laughs> which from segment one, that really hit me. That really made me laugh. And it, it gives some bad, some bad assumptions about the people, right? It made me think bad. I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning, but it didn't, did bother me. And I waited, I waited for more than 20 minutes. And there were people that were already parked there that had been waiting. And some people were starting to leave and stuff like that. Cause they'd been waiting for so long. And, I, you know, people were knocking and trying the door and looking through the windows and all this kind of stuff. And and at one point I'm like, oh, cause I could just go home, but I'm like, eh, you know what? Cause I'm starting to be the type I'm starting, starting to be like that. I went, okay, well, I wonder if they have a net connection here. And I went, okay. Cause you're not really supposed to use the, the open networks, it, but it was, it was legal and everything like that. It was provided as a service. So I went, poked in. The first thing I did is like, okay, I'm going to look up 
the company, the branch, and see if I can actually get a phone number to call this building. <laughs> and I did. I went all the way down the chain. I called them up. I'm like, hey, we've been waiting for more than this amount of time. Could you come open the door for us? I wasn't rude. You should never be rude because this is like, whatever. It's just, this is not important. <laughs> just chill. And no problem. Got the door open. I kept the number. I just, okay, no, that's going in there. And I, I came back literally to, I think it was a couple of days ago. And uh, I went back and there was somebody else that was already waiting. A couple of people, they've been hanging out. I'm like, I'll chill. I, I, I peeked in. The floor is still wet. I know a lot of places are mopping very regularly. Okay, I respect that. I also don't want to go in. I also want to have the floor dry. I want things to be nice and clean. Okay, given the times, I think that's important for everybody. So I'm fine with waiting. Okay. So I wait and I wait. It's been 15, 20 minutes. And I know the other people are getting frustrated. They tell me, we kind of talk a little bit. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I don't want to because I'm willing to wait. But when somebody else is inconvenienced, then, then I get more bold. So I gave them the number. <laughs> they were rather impressed. <laughs> and, and they called. I made sure that they were polite because that's really important to me. And this is this is... And that's what I want to get into. And we got let in and all this kind of stuff. And the thing about having that extremely minor superpower of having like, I've, I've got the, the contact information of any number of people that are a couple of stages above that generic phone call you make. Right. So imagine having the phone number of the tier one, like the actual cell phone number of the tier one technical support for your internet service provider. Like, and, and something happens, you technically have the power to, to call that one dude and just be like, Hey, I've got this, this is happening. But the thing is, it better be good because you are actually wielding a power. And it should always be, it should always be, you know, you think about it, you think about it, you try the stuff that's obvious, you look for your own solutions, you actually try the, your own solutions, right? The stuff you find, you actually take it seriously and do the dumb suggestions as well. And then possibly you walk through their, their technical support and you also act stupid. And that's one of the problems that smart techie people like me have. One of the problems is we want to skip all the nonsense. Just be like, oh, blah, blah, blah. and we don't do the basic stuff. And we don't walk through the, the boring technical support people, the people that don't know anything but a script. And uh, so it, it is damaging to a relationship to go and assume that you can wield one of the higher ups to solve basic problems that that's, that's going to get your number blocked. Uh, but it is, if, especially if you're in business, if you're in business and you've got, you'll collect numbers like that because problems are going to rise and, and they'll be legitimate enough that you'll get passed up the stream and you'll end up collecting these kind of contacts. It just happens over the years. Um, there is an extremely valuable perspective, which is you actually be social with these people, like honestly and comfortably nice. And, and you, you might call them for 
non-problem related and social related stuff. Like you'd be like, hey, I heard you got this contract. Hey, congratulations. Hey, do you want to, if you're in town or I'm going to be in town, why don't we go for a drink? It's something like that. A businessy related social thing. You just drop by their office and be like, hey, I heard you moved offices. Hey, this is really nice. And just, and go and chat with those people and develop those relationships. And, uh, I was listening to, uh, so I went through all of Lewis Rossman's stuff. So he's all popular now and I can say his name <laughs> and people will just know, know the name, which is really hilarious. Um, but he, he talked about a lot of the business stuff and I paid attention to the stuff and it, that's the most recent business related stuff that I've been listening to. So it's pretty fresh. So it's what I can easily refer to, but I've, I've been paying attention to this kind of stuff for years. It's just fascinating. And if you're ever in business, you really have to, because uh, the dumbest and obvious things you might not think of, and other people will convey them eloquently, and you'll it, it really helps to learn a lot of these things. Um, at any rate, he was talking about this very thing and how he would uh, be social. And the thing, it's like business social, which is like, it's not the same as friends social, but he was being honest about it and went out of his way for it. And the end result, it wasn't the intention. That's really important. It shouldn't be the intention to do this, but the end result was whenever things happened, when, whenever there were uh, events, changes, uh, there were like new technologies, there were new opportunities that would arise, he would get the call first. He would get the, the heads up before anybody else because he was friendly. He was a good guy and he was honestly a good guy. And so all of these uh, outlets, so so he'd have uh, other businesses. So you make relationships with other businesses that will sell you things. And you don't treat those like they're like you're going grocery shopping. There's actually a long-term relationship that's set up with these people. Even if you're a small guy, and if you're small, one of the problems is you're, you're bottom of the pile. So you can't make demands. You can't negotiate. So your prices end up being higher than the next guy over. You can't buy in bulk, right? So, and it, it, if they have a shortage, they're going to sell to their big clients first. So it's going to be your shortage if you're the little guy. But if you develop that friendly relationship, he did with a bunch of his suppliers. And it ends up being, well, he, he got a call. He got a heads up. He got a heads up from one of the inside guys that he was friendly with. And, and, uh, and the inside guy said, well, okay, well, well, look, we, we've got this problem happening inside. You know, we have too much of this thing, or we've got too little of this thing. Well, why don't I get some of this out to you a little bit sooner than, than we're still working on the other negotiations with these other companies. But so, but you and I, why don't we work something out really quick now and not bother waiting for all that stuff? And so he'll, he'll get access to stuff a couple of weeks in advance. And that might mean a whole lot. So if he's got access to some new technology, some new critical component for a technology for like a laptop that just, just came out, he's the only guy in town, the only guy in the city who's got access to the, the right parts and all those first, you know, all those people that drop it on their first day, <laughs> he's the guy that can fix it. So that business relationship, that social relationship ended up being cr 
critical, business critical, ended up getting access to a market before anybody else. And it, it ends up helping with like prices and it ends up sorting out problems, but never stress that. Never play pretend like, oh, I, you know, I've got the president's number and you just, hey, I've got, and it's just something dumb. You just, you just don't do that when it's legit or when it's interesting or when it's whatever. But it's like, um, what's that movie? Oh man. I can't remember the name. I got the name. It's so it's one of these mob movies. Uh, where Minion, maybe you'll remember, <laughs> maybe. Okay, so it's one of these mob crime movies. Uh, the head of the family is this old dude. It's a little chubby. He always talks like he's got marbles in his mouth. He's like, I'm gonna make an, make an off you can't refuse kind of thing. Do you remember what that movie was? What? No, you can't. That doesn't even sound remotely familiar. No? Ah. Oh. A guy with marbles in his mouth? Yeah, he, he's, he, he talks like he's... He talks like he's got something in his mouth. He's... Do you remember anything else of the plot? Um, it's one of the early, most popular mob mob movies. Oh, I'd look it up, but I can't remember. Anyhow, uh, it, so he's the mob boss. He's the, he's the, and there's the little game everybody plays where they're all legitimate business kind of thing, but it's not. It's it's a criminal enterprise. But he's the the main, main dude, the patriarch of this large organization, the family of families. And everybody knows him. Everybody knows him. Everybody respects him slash fears him or whatever the heck. And people go to him for help, for stuff. And there's one scene in the movie where a guy's going to him and he's like, because uh, he has some really serious problem. He's being harassed by some competition to the family or whatever the heck. And he goes to the to the boss and says, you know, I've been having this problem. Hey, can you help me out? Because it was something pretty small that was, you know, snap his fingers. He could probably get it taken care of, no problem. But the boss is like, you know, you 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 come by, you don't you don't meet, invite me over to your birthday party, you don't come and say hello, you don't and, and you expect this. And it and it's like all of these other little events, they're all little. Like, hey, you're in town? Go drop by. You're, you're, something happens? Go give him a call. And it's, it's kind of embarrassing and kind of difficult. So this is how more social, less shy people will succeed in life way more, especially in business, because they're just not scared to pick up the call. Pick up the phone and be like, hey, I, hey, something happened. You know? and, then, and just have a quick chat. And, uh, and be that, be that little break. And then when something, even something little happens and they, they can just ask for the tiny bit of help. And it's just, it's not like a tit for tat thing, but it's, it's really easy for, for the other person to be like, you know what? You've been, you've been a nice guy. This really isn't much of a big deal. Uh, yeah, of course I'll, you know, I'll take care of that just really quick. It's not, not a big deal. Like, no, no, you know, you're, I know things are hard for the times, but you've been a really good long-term customer of mine. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's okay if you need to take another week to pay off this this thing. No, it's it's okay if this happens, and and that stuff might be pretty easy. And if when it's pretty easy, but you've been nice, it's humans have this thing where um, we want to help one another. We actually feel good about ourselves when we're doing that kind of thing. But we also have this thing where uh, 
it's really easy for us to hold on to these like uh to to the when we're not being treated well it's really easy for us to to be resistant and to be kind of mean about some stuff even when it's really simple maybe especially if it's really simple so we're going to take another break and we're going to be back in 10 minutes i will see you then well that was poorly done but we're back <laughs> i'm also back uh, okay so i can probably fill this entire segment with administrivia but let's see if that's actually true or not um uh. what this is the exciting part so okay so every every event is another opportunity to bring forward the improvements that you've considered before and one of the problems is you often can't use the live situation for experiments. And this is really important. So the more um, critical, the more public, the more financially tied uh, a, a, a thing is, let's say. So the more, the more that thing is important to be stable, there's less experimentation you can do. So there needs to be kind of a sandbox situation where you can try stuff, you can tinker in your 20% time with that version of things, with a, a, a situation that isn't live, that is where it's safe to break everything, where it's safe to be wrong. And so I'm not always at that point. I do experimentations. So I'm, I'm talking about podcasting in general. And my side of things is I'm a talking I'm a voice. I'm a disembodied voice right now. So I've been thinking in terms of audio quality. And part of the prompting for me to constantly think about things is the fact that I'm editing earlier shows. Now, I am still many shows behind. And I am forever embarrassed at that. I'm going to be spending more and more time. I tried spending time earlier today, but I got hit by something that I'm going to talk about. Um, but I still... I still think and I still research and I read and I watch videos to understand how to improve things. And I do end up implementing some stuff live. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to talk about some of the changes that I've had. Now, Minion has no ear, obviously. He can't tell the difference between me using a proper microphone and me using a webcam microphone. So, Just like how I can't tell the difference between something very good quality and something excellent quality. Well, well, yeah. I just make fun of things. Yeah, like the difference between MP3 and FLAC. <laughs> well, I can't tell either. Uh, it's really weird. Like, um, I mean, I have sensitivity to bass, but I have really no taste anywhere else. Um, and that's, I, yeah, I will actually talk about that too. So one of the changes that I made was, so I, we had gone from me using desktop speakers and me using um, a regular microphone with a cardioid pattern and the volume and the settings would mean that the desktop speakers wouldn't come through and hit the, and trigger the microphone most of the time. Okay. But when, cause the microphone sensitivity was it, there was a detection feature in uh, Discord. So we were piping everything through Discord. And that means that when Minions was, was talking, Discord wouldn't notice and the microphone was off, 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 completely off. And we went from that to recording locally, 
which now meant that the voice sensitivity, it still existed for the stream because Discord is what was being, so it, w it went from us to Discord to OBS to, the to Twitch in our case, okay? Now, that arrangement was modified with us both, with both of us locally, locally recording with Audacity. And that meant that the local recording didn't have that microphone, that gate, so it was actually on my end recording minion talking out of the microphone out of the my desktop speakers so we had this weird so we made one change thinking that it would be that it would be an improvement and it was an improvement and it allowed a lot of possibilities but now but then what we did is that was that ended up becoming a live experiment that had side effects and one of the side effects was my track would have some of Minion's voice. Now, he doesn't talk a lot, so it's not a disastrous problem like talking into a microphone that's on a webcam. <laughs> but what it did mean is that if I was talking and he was talking at the same time, his voice is picked up within my track and I can't clear that out. I, I, there are ways of doing that. But I, I was not at that point when I could actually do that. Now, we actually have our original audio. Theoretically, if I had developed that skill or we get help, that can be filtered out. There's a way. I probably bookmarked something at some point, right? But that's old content. That ends up not being so important to go back and edit as much as it's important to, to do things right from now going forward. Now, so... What ended up happening is I, I thought, okay, well, desktop speakers, desktop speakers. Okay, so if if he's getting picked up that way, I need headphones. So I've got headphones. I I did this weird USB to 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 regular jack thing with the headphones, and that was working out. I did some shows with that, and then post when I'm doing the listening because I'm I'm now catching up into that stuff, doing the listening. Uh, I would hear these clicks. So I'm in. they're all the way over there. Okay. So there were these little uh, plastic uh, clicky noises because there's a joint between the headband and the actual earpieces. And if I were to move a little bit, there would be this little click and that would actually show up in the track. And I, it took me a while to figure out what that was, but but I could hear it. So I am now, I, I still want that arrangement, but I'm now using uh, my, the Bluetooth earbuds that I got for my phone. And in order to do that, I had to give Bluetooth functionality to my desk, to this desktop computer. So I had to go and dig out an old uh, Bluetooth dongle and it works. It was one of these $10 things, $10 Canadian. So it, and it was quite inexpensive. And I, ha I had it kind of as a backup from a long time ago when I had a Raspberry Pi and I wanted to use a little Bluetooth keyboard. And so that, so I'm, I'm working at it. So it's good. And it, this gives me understanding of, of how to solve that problem better. I'm ordering in a part to uh, actually install a Bluetooth Wi-Fi. Uh, it's, it's one of these, uh, it's not M.2, I think. It's somewhere in that, uh, it's like a little card. It's not a, a full, full uh, traditional discrete card, but it's a little thing that would plug into my motherboard and give that functionality. Um, 
so I'm ordering that in. It's it's supposed to be exactly matching the make and model of my motherboard. So it should be perfect. I don't remember. It might come with like a couple of little uh, wireless antennae or something like that. I have no intention of using the wireless functionality. I'll turn it off within Windows, but I'm going to use the Bluetooth. Right. Okay. So every time one of these... Every, because I'm eating my own dog food, because I'm actually doing the editing myself and listening to the show and paying attention, I will find these problems. I use my 20% time to think about these problems, to go and research them. And I use, uh, I kind of have a personal budget set aside for this podcast to, to get equipment, to all this kind of stuff. So my 20% time is really being used quite well. Uh, I'm not, I'm probably using 40% time and I'm not doing enough work for the podcast itself. That's why the post-production hasn't caught up. Okay. So this is an example of me kind of going through the improvement cycle, being prompted by these problems, research, actually finding and implementing solutions. It ends up looping back because problems keep, every new change will has the possibility of presenting something else, right? You, you put out one fire, it springs up somewhere else, uh, right? It's, it's for, it's forever. <laughs> okay. Right now. Cause I know, I know there's room for improvement because, because we've listened to other podcasts and they're better. <laughs> so until we figure out how they do it, cause they're not sharing. <laughs> okay. So, so that's these Bluetooth headphones. Now, um, I'm still struggling with a lot of audio quality stuff and there are other problems that can't be mitigated very easily. And one of them is general background noise. And it's been an interest of mine to, to study. I, I don't, you know, if you're watching a video or something like that, uh, with, with a regular speaker, they'll have these little, uh, black squares of foam with the little pointy patterns have a couple of them kind of around <laughs> like it's supposed to do something right and it, there's an idea of treating the audio in the room and i don't have a good ear for that stuff but i want to respect that other people do these things and that this advice is floating out there it's it's hard because there's a lot of bad advice there's a lot of bad advice because there's just a lot of advice and there's a lot of people and there's a very broad range of skill and there's a very broad range of, uh, uh, well, just like me, there are a lot of people that have poor ears, poor judgment, etc. And so it's hard to uh, really dig through everything to find, you know, pan through all the dirt to find the gold. And, and so I've had this stuff in mind, but I'm trying to understand it better. Like, I mean, this, some of that stuff is expensive, man hundreds and hundreds of dollars for some of these bricks of foam. And I, nobody was explaining why, like you look at Amazon, you can't tell if it's a con or not because there's the perception that if it's expensive, it's good, but there's, so I can't tell if it's expensive because it's actually good for realsies or if it's a con. And there's a lot of stuff out there where people don't know enough and people will uh, offer, they're like, I use this and blah, blah, blah. Okay. So I've, I've had a hard time 
if I was dumb and rich, I would have bought a whole bunch of this other stuff and it would have worked my room out and uh, I would have played pretend that it was better, and but I wouldn't have very good ears for it. And I wouldn't have enough of expertise in the audience to actually tell me, like, Minion admits that he doesn't have great ears for this stuff. So I just I just feel good. It's like painting your microphone a different color and, and playing pretend like it's just got better audio now. <laughs> yeah, I, I painted my room different. Like, I put up stuff in my room and it, and yeah, I guess it works better. Okay, so... I did a bunch of research to understand a bunch of stuff and I knew some of the physics and I understood some of it, but I just didn't know how to apply it to my circumstances. Okay. So, so one of the things that I've never really understood is, um, like microphone positioning and the idea of these like foam things on microphones and these screens. And so, because I have no ear, I just put a lot of that stuff on. I'm like, uh, okay, I guess I'll, I'll get all this stuff. So I've got here, I have had it since the beginning. So I've got this like double pop filter thingy thing. And that's supposed to help um, like diffuse the air of the bursts of sound from plosives. And so technically speaking, I should be, I should be quite close to my pop filter and it should be uh, I, th I mean, you see all these images where the pop filter is right near the microphone, but I get the impression that the pop filter should be right near your mouth and the microphone should be, you know, uh, uh should be the distance a little bit further than the distance of your, the width of your fist kind of thing. It's, it's people poke out their thumb and pinky and they're like, it should be about that far away from your mouth. And okay. Granted. And uh, so I'm doing that stuff and I've got and I'm like, oh, apparently the puff on my microphone is completely worthless. It is meant for wind. It is not meant for plosives. So maybe I should take that off next time. Or maybe it does no harm at all. Or, 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 or. Okay, so that's something to think about. I have on my shopping list a an advanced uh, pop filter that has these two screens. But they're, they're a better material. And they're, but they're not directly in line with one another one of them is on an angle okay so the notion is the air comes from your mouth it's going towards the microphone okay there's it's not and the sound waves are going towards the microphone because there's air from here to there and the vibration travels okay it travels through the screens but you want that that puff of air to get diffused so the the puff of air hits the first layer of the windscreen and it diffuses and most circumstances that like they sell the $10 thing and that's good enough. Like they say, Oh, you put pantyhose over. So in my particular case, I've got, there's a tiny gap and then there's another screen. And this was a really inexpensive little toy. And I like, just as I was talking, I po poked at my screen and like, Oh wow. It really does have two screens that are separate. Maybe I should vacuum the dust off this thing. So it's more effective. Okay, so there's the little air gap. So there's there's the the puff of air that gets diffused a little bit, and then it hits that other screen. It gets diffused even more. That's the idea, and then it it moves over, and then it eventually hits the mic. So maybe that will help. Plosives are still going to come in, and I, and I know I had a plosive way earlier in the show, and I'll just edit that out. And that's the thing. 
I think this is really important for live, and this is really important for reducing the effort, the workload of doing post-production, but it is possible to edit this stuff to diminish its impact. And and so there's a, there's a technique in the editing. The actual editing, um, I'm not at the point where I'm really willing to share what I'm doing when I get it, because the idea of this third segment, the idea of the administrivia to talk about this stuff is there's going to be, there are going to be people who are highly interested in the path we took and the things we're going to be doing. We're using Audacity and all the tools we're going to be using are all completely free, right? And as soon as that's, as soon as we figure it all out, so as soon as we know what, as soon as there's competency, I would provide that. And then, a, a, but a person wouldn't like, uh, so right now, okay, so a very, very beginner would be like, oh, okay, well, okay, webcam bad. So we need to convey right at the beginning, webcam is bad, get a regular microphone. What kind? Well, get this kind. If they have no budget, do this. If they got a bit of a budget, do this and this. They need to understand that path to go from like, well, how important is it to have uh, an arm an arm on your desk for a microphone can you use a stand and there are costs involved but audacity no cost so i could wait i could i could do things right and i can convey that right away like okay so I, i'm kind of waiting to figure all that stuff out better but i've been fiddling and fiddling with audacity um so that's that's one of the things i haven't really talked about the individual settings some of which have a very heavy impact on the problem of plosives and the th the thing is uh it is always better to improve the audio quality before it even hits disc before it even hits your microphone right so knowing how to speak will help knowing where the microphone is where where the devices that are in the way it, it, all that matters and all that matters more than what you can do in post-production to clean things up. Especially if we're going to have a live experience, it's really important to have that good quality right up front because we don't really get a chance to do that, that editing. Now, that's not true once we have a budget, if, right? Because I've actually got stuff on my wish lists that is gear, physical hardware that goes between the microphone and recording the disc and streaming out that would perform certain audio treatments and and it's the good stuff and it's the stuff that audacity can kind of do right now but it, ha it has to be done it has to have been streamed it has to have been recorded to edit it after the fact it's kind of manual but there are actual boxes actual hardware that would let you do things as you're as you're speaking and so um, that's a, that's a path to take. So Audacity will let me do certain stuff that would let me, uh, well, I can edit out plosives if they're at the beginning of sentences, which I do a lot. Um, I'm, I'm getting less plosives because my technique is better. And uh, there's, there's this uh, compression, th this, there's a kind of a clipping and a compression thing that will, that will take out the spikes so the plosives might exist in words, but they'll be diminished. And the massive spikes of, of uh, you know, mouth clicks that happened at the beginning of some sentences, they are chopped right down. They're at least less annoying by default. So if I didn't edit a track at all, it, it would be good. It would be good. So I'm, I'm thinking of, I'm sorting my stuff out 
and I learned how to do macros in Audacity, which was a, which I I just went looking for that. I'm like, this is this is annoying. I wonder if there's a feature, and it, and I, the software is too complicated for me to just poke around everywhere. So I I did some searching. I found it. I learned it, and that's something I want to talk about, which is. I figured out how to chain all these things together, but whenever I tried to go back and edit one of them, um, it would crash. It would consistently crash and I couldn't do anything to solve it. And I, I just, I got frustrated and went, okay, no, I, I want this functionality. It's really important to me. And I went looking and I found somebody else that complained because when you have a problem and you suspect that other users will have your problem, Go look it up. Don't assume though that you're going to be the fir the first one. Like it's the nine one one thing. If there's a problem that people have, um, don't don't think that you're necessarily the first one to get it. Um, it. It doesn't happen as often as you think. So go looking to see if there's somebody else that complained. See if there's a, a bug report or something like this. I went and I found somebody that really ranted about this problem. And it is a really, really big problem for certain people because the equalization feature was removed. It was busted and then it was just rewritten and it became something else. And people didn't know that it, that it mutated over here. And so I had this problem where it was just busted for me. It was a feature I wasn't using, so it was okay. Okay. But I upgraded and the feature was just removed, <laughs> just completely removed. They're like, oh, well, huh. Well, how am I supposed to do this now? So, you know, I find this rant that goes through. It's like, I, and I'm like, okay, well, it got, it, so this the equalizer functionality got removed. Uh, it got, it was this complicated mess. And I knew it right from the very beginning of using Audacity. As soon as I, I looked at the equalizer feature, I'm like, this is really complicated. Why would I, and, and it, that complexity just made it, bug prone and made it just bad code on the inside. So the, the programmers eventually broke down and went, okay, we're just doing it from scratch. So they split it out into two things. One is you can do the little line, which is what I ended up doing. Cause that's how I originally did it in the earlier version of Audacity. And the other is when you like wiggle the little knobs up and down, like people will recognize the equalizer settings if they're playing music. So you make this certain kind of curve and it's just magic magic and, and you would not have the same kind of curve for doing the vocal editing but there is some stuff that you would do and it varies based on the voices that are happening so theoretically speaking minion will learn his voice and and the, the settings will change a little bit for him i and it might be different I, I don't know how that stuff works yet so i've got just a couple of dumb slopes and it seems okay uh, whatever, but I keep the sources and I, and I know how to reproduce everything and I know how to edit differently if I get better. And now today I learned how to, how to share the entire chain of macros and all of the settings that I apply track wide. So I know how to do that stuff. And that means that I can just like have it. I, and it's, it's small enough that it could be pasted in a description of a video. So or a comment or something like that. And that's probably what's going to get, what's going to happen. Like right as soon as I figure stuff out, we'll, we'll, we'll get better. Um, so upgrading was a bit of an adventure. This is one of the reasons why you shouldn't upgrade. So if you have 
So just like you don't want to experiment live, if something is critical, don't change it. And a lot of a lot of businesses are, end up like this. So they're using old hardware, old software. They they refuse to change, and and that is because when stuff is live and stuff is critical, weird uh, programmers are kind of dumb, and they make changes and things break. And even if things are broken for your version, it it's broken, and you know how to deal with it, and and that's fine. And you just. If it's a little awkward, okay, that's fine. And a lot of these businesses, they're just so busy that they don't have, they don't know how to set up a, an, a sandboxed environment to try the new version of the software, to try the new procedures, and then to get everybody else up to speed and then to shift it over to live. They don't know how to really work through all of everything in order to then realize the improvements in their main, uh, kind of their main business. So, we're kind of getting to the point where we're like that. Audacity is not some critical program that has security issues because it's connected to the internet or anything like that. Um, Discord does, right? Discord has to get updated. It does it automatically, more or less. Like we've got the little down arrow. It's not generally much of a problem, but Audacity, it can stay fixed in time. The reason I upgraded it, it's an upgrade, not just an update, is because I had that one specific issue with this one problem that I really wanted to get working. So it really prompted me. But this also means that Minion has to get his updated so I can share my macro string, and we'll do this after the show. So next thing I want to talk about is, um, is sound-related stuff. And I'll talk about light-related stuff when we get into, uh, when I get put on camera again. And part of that is I rearranged a few things in this room. And so things are really different and some problems are really obvious now. I used to just be able to kind of like hide some stuff. Now I can't. Okay. Now learning about light previously now has a partial portability for understanding sound. Because you, you know that if you take a flashlight and you beam it at a mirror... You know where the light's going to go. You can shine it on the wall. Well, sound is ex exactly like that. It's exactly like that because you can take a sound source, quote unquote, pointed, and it will reflect off of surfaces. And this means stuff. So the very basic way of understanding audio goes like so. You've got a microphone. We're going we're gonna to pretend like your microphone listens in a cone and that it doesn't hear uh, it's not a 360 thing. So it hears you in the front and it hears less in the back. And this is usually a cardioid pattern, kind of heart shaped from and that, that tries to ignore more of the background behind it and more of the foreground in front of you. And that's the setting you want. If you, if your microphone doesn't do that, get a different one. If you're, if you're a beginner, just starting out, there are inexpensive microphones that do that. Now, the other style of microphone is one, it's like a, a column and you need to talk down into the column. Those end up acting in the same manner. So there's some microphones you kind of point at the ceiling and you talk into the face. They need to have special functionality. They're often stereo microphones. They need to have special functionality where they listen in front and less in the back. Okay. But those, those certain kinds of microphones, they're really good for setting in the middle of a room and having multiple people talk around them. And they're good for like instruments and stuff like that for listening in front and in back. But if you're like podcasting, talking down into a mic 
is is a great way of making sure the sound only goes that way. And the reason you want that, and the reason I was talking about balancing audio. So let's say you're sitting in a chair, you're talking into a microphone, and behind you is a monitor. And a monitor is a nice flat surface. So what happens is your voice comes out in this uncontrolled cone. I've talked about the plosive problem with the screen, but your voice goes everywhere. So it, your, your plosive doesn't really matter so much, but your, your voice travels everywhere. It booms everywhere in every direction, including behind you. But what happens with a microphone is your voice travels, it washes over the microphone, it washes behind the microphone, it hits the monitor, it, your monitor, it'll hit your wall, it'll all reflect back, and it'll reflect back at different amounts. So your monitor might not be right, right inset into your wall in one continuous flat surface. It's your monitor first, then the rest of the wall, because a lot of people have their desk and their monitor kind of like near the wall. It'll all reflect back. Now your microphone, if it's positioned correctly, that's not going to be a problem. It's not going to be hearing that ever so slight delay from your voice also reflecting back from the opposite direction. Okay. But, but the rest of the room is going to have this odd reverberation. Now sound travels real, real fast, but, but it's still a slightly slower thing, certainly sl slower than light, but it's still slow enough that what happens is your voice, because it goes everywhere, will also kind of bounce off your wall, bounce back, wash from the back of your monitor through your face, through your chair, behind you, to the back wall, to the side walls, and they will, the, all the audio will all come back, all washing back in. And eventually, all the sounds from all the different reflections, and they're all different. Like maybe you're closer to your left wall than your right wall. And maybe your back wall has an erratic shape. And the sound will bounce off in all these weird directions. And they'll all eventually come back and hit your microphone. Now, that doesn't matter if you've got shitty ears. Okay. But if you're making a recording, some of these things matter. Some of these things end up coming across really well if somebody's got a decent sound system and more and more people have really good headphones and they'll hear this kind of uh overlaid echo just subtly in a voice and it makes it sound worse than it could and if you're in a recording studio and you've got if you've got singing or if you've got instruments especially instruments you need to have this purity of having just that original voice, that original sound from that one source without it reflecting and becoming a very offset slight chorus from all these different directions. So that's where all this sound treatment stuff comes from. Okay. So, so in lighting, you have this problem of having a key light and having like a little soft reflector. You've got these ideas of really large like umbrellas with lighting and you've got reflector boxes and you've got different sources and that's for like filling in shadows and all this kind of stuff well you've got kind of the same considerations for audio which is well how do you present a, a proper room a, a kind of virtual room so that a person who's listening 
is listening to purity or to uh, maybe you don't want it to sound like they're in a closet. Maybe you want it to sound like it's in a larger space. And so there's certain considerations that, that have to happen where the different walls are treated. So for example, for example, corners of rooms can be really a really big problem if you're doing recording. And so what some people, these are, this is the most expensive thing in the entire array of stuff that you can get. The most expensive are these little wedges that you put up the wall right in the corner to prevent your voice or instrument from reflecting into the corner and then bouncing off in really odd ways and, and coming back at you as this kind of, uh, mess, this, this scrambled mess. So people will treat, especially the very top near the ceiling, that space, and maybe have a couple of pieces, which is a little weird. You might think you need one continuous column. And, and they do the same thing with like squares on the walls. And some of them have these little pyramids that poke out. And the idea is the sound washes over as kind of this slightly rounded cone. The tip of the cone washes over that that uh, material and two things happen. So the first thing is it hits the cones and then it bounces off, but it bounces off and it's, it's this uh, rounded cone that hits a point and that hits the point and it fractures across all the surfaces of the point. And it's slightly different because the, it, it hits the peak and then little bits more of the audio will hit different parts down the ever increasing base of that pyramid. And, but there's many, many pyramids. And so some of the pyramids kind of have, have points that reflect and the audio kind of, kind of scatters and then scatters in on itself. And there's this muting effect where the sound will kind of nullify itself because it's washing right back into itself. So that's one consideration where you do odd things with the way that the sound bounces and it, and it messes it up and it makes it muter. And the other is the substance of the, the, uh, the wall, the, uh, the area where you would normally reflect because you get some absorption and the absorption has to do with the nature of the material. And this tends to be a problem of treble and bass. So the higher pitch stuff, the treble end of stuff, it really easily reflects off of surfaces. The base end of stuff tends to not respond very well to that. It tends to have a problem with soaking in. And if it bounces off, it's, it's, it's a very large problem. Now you need to have a kind of a substance, a kind of mass to the treatment of a wall that will, that will accept the base side of stuff without letting it reflect. And, but it will accept it and then it will diffuse it kind of internally. So this is the thing about like soundproofing walls is you can do everything you want, but if it's just a little carpet or something like that, it's nothing. It does, does not matter to base. So it's not going to matter to a car outside or a plane overhead or whatever the heck. What you would need is to have a, a multi-inch thick, specially dense, like an insulation panel that would have to be hung and it would have to be hung with a, a, like a one inch distance off of a wall. And then you'd have the panel and the panel would also need to have a fabric stretched over top of it because it's prettier, but also because it acts like a pop screen, a pop filter, 
where uh, sound will actually, it's sound should penetrate it through that easily. So it's too tight a fabric, it'll just bounce it off. And it's exactly the same as a wall. So you want it to be nice and loose. You want wind to be able to, to go through it, your breath to be able to go through it. Like so, so that's the way if you hold it up, uh, you can actually, you should be able to feel your hand behind it. So before you, when you're purchasing a fabric, you do these tests, you should be able to see light through it and stuff like that. So you get this weird process where the, all the wind will pass through it. It looks nice because it's got this fabric over it. The wind, your, the sound passes through it. It gets absorbed into this panel and the ref, the reflection that happens uh, has to pass through two layers of this fabric, one, one going through and one reflecting coming back. And so it mutes the treble side of things and it absorbs the bass side of things. It's really, really good stuff. I'm actually thinking of, because uh, you can buy these, oh boy, you're gonna pay a lot of money to buy these. But it's really cheap to make, like really, really cheap. It's four sticks of wood, some hot glue, um, like an like a, th a three inch thick insulation panel cut everything to size, it, it, you glue it up, nail a little bit, stretch some fabric over it. Uh, how much does fabric cost? Go to, I mean, there. I've been to shops that have these little rolls of fabric. If you go to carpet places and stuff like that, they might also have like cloth that people use for sewing. And just look, and all these things are pretty common. You just get, get a length of whatever the heck and assemble this all. It's pretty easy for an for like an average person like me that's never done that before and i can cut them and i can get little hanging things and it just hangs exactly like a a painting it's not going to be it's going to be pretty heavy so you got to make sure you know how to do it right but but that's all within reach and it's all it's it's like a a time effort money thing you spend the time and the effort you save a lot of money so i'm thinking of doing that but it's weird because I, I, I thought about it and I, I looked around some more and somebody in some comment on some, something somewhere said, you know what I do? What I do is I take, I've got this old like uh, stand for lighting. I, I turn on, Hey, I have one of those. What do you, what can I do with that? Cause I was thinking of mounting my microphone to it. Um, I was thinking about mounting my webcam to it, this kind of stuff. I've experimented with it. I have all the adapters, etc. And this guy says, you know what I do? I put this, but I put it in a T shape and I, and I'll just line it up like that. Took, take the sand, uh, the sandbag off. It's a weighted end. So you have something heavy on the other end of the arm and it balances. He says, I just make it into a T and then I throw a blanket over it. I throw one of these moving blankets over it. And that, that helps, that helps with the sound. I'm like, oh, what a great idea. How much did it pay off that I just poked around and wandered through all of these, uh, I'd be inarticulate in asking all these questions. How awesome is it that it paid off? So right now I actually have like a duvet kind of draped over a, um, a an old, well, a, and as of now unused, like lighting stand thing. And so it's, it's off on one side and here's the other thing. Now it, my arrangement isn't very good. I decided to put it on an angle where I think more car uh, sound is going to come from. And so there's the wall 
where the bass just rides on through. And then I've got this space, and then it's got to hit this, the two, actually two sides of this duvet. So I'm hoping that it kind of helps a little bit. It reflects a little bit of the high end, and then it the bass has to struggle through two layers, and it's quilt, right? So, and it's not very thick. I've got thicker quilt than I'm thinking of trying it on, but winter's coming, right? So disassembling a bed to do this is kind of annoying. So, but behind me, I've got like a fireplace and stuff like that. So it's like a straight glass window and it's got a bookshelf. And this is the other interesting thing is for certain environments to get the audio to seem warm, to seem friendly, uh, it ends up being important not to do the audio in a box for it not to be pure, for it to actually have a certain kind of warmth to it that is really easily reproduced of all things in a cluttered room. Because in a cluttered room, you don't have all of these flat surfaces and all these beautiful clean walls. You know, you imagine somebody with a nice house, they've got no objects. They've got nice hung frames, picture frames. They've got, you know, they've got a mirror. They've got nothing is on any of the tables. Things are just nice and tidy. But you take that room, you clutter it up. You take a chair, you throw a bunch of stuff in the chair, you throw your moving blanket on one edge of the chair. You you have many, many textures everywhere, all at different distances. And what happens to the voices, so if you're doing an interview, for example, all of the people sound like they're in a room, like they're in a legit actual room. That sounds more welcoming. Listening sounds easier. It sounds more natural. It, you don't need the purity of singing. So you don't need single sources because you're not mixing the purity of all these different individual instruments together. You have the warmth of having a person's speech in a natural environment that you want your listener to feel, you want them to feel like they're sitting in that room listening. And so that's something that I'm kind of working on as well. So I just might need to have a, a couple of objects. And then the problem becomes, well, how do you do that if you're on a camera, if you're on webcam, right? Well, mm, I have two monitors. Maybe what I'll do is I'll take the monitor in front of me and I'll turn it a little so it's reflecting different. So I can still mostly see it. And I've got a second monitor. It's pointed kind of at me, but not quite. So it's kind of different than the microphone, right? I need more clean area because there are visual concerns, but, but you can get these little, like, uh, you can get particularly effective, uh, foam squares, but they're not foam. Like the foam squares, uh, you might get something that's okay, kind of a little and kind of helps the crap that you will see on streamers walls or YouTubers that have these little things but they're not very good. And if they're like, they're like spoilers or racing stripes or whatever, if it makes you feel like you're going faster, it's just fashion, but it's fine. I mean, if it helps a tiny bit, even if it helps your mood, your confidence, okay, go for it. No problem. It's not too, too expensive. Some of them are, some of them are, and they're not, <laughs> there's no justification for their cost, but there are things that I'm looking at that are reasonably priced that are made of a different kind of material. They're meant to be a little thicker, they're not all cone-like. They're not textured per se. I'm thinking of doing that and then placing it on certain surfaces 
in order to not have the direct reflection from walls, for example. So the wall that I'm kind of speaking at, and maybe behind me, I could probably get away with a, a bit of a design. It, it would be a bit of beauty. It would demonstrate to my viewers, in that case, viewers and listeners, to my viewers, that I care about the audio treatment. And so what I'm looking at getting are these little squares. I would cut them to size. I would use these uh, poster like strips that are removable because I don't want to start damaging the paint everywhere because who knows, maybe this won't work. Maybe this experiment will be a huge waste of money, hopefully not too huge. And maybe I'll need to remove these. Maybe I'll find something that's better. Maybe I'll get a better budget and then I'll go for the things that are really expensive. And I want to pull this stuff off and I want to replace it or I want to move it. And so I'm thinking I've got a couple of different kinds of squares. I'll hang around. Uh, I like the idea of this sheet thing and I know exactly where I can hang it so that it won't be seen by a camera. And I think if I get away with that, that will help kind of soften one entire zone. And I might do it with the other side of stuff because I actually hung a mirror recently. And uh, so I know I've got reflection on one side, but maybe that's exactly what I want. Like exactly like having a key light and having a, a soft reflector, a foam board for all that matters. I would have a, a highly reflective surface, like a mirror over there. And I would have a very soft surface over there. And it would, it would give a certain tone to the way that reverberation happens in the microphone. That might work out. Now, I think maybe what I'll do is I'll just have a little clutter on that side of the room. A little reflection is fine. A lot of clutter is good. <laughs> Don't we all have a lot of clutter to work with? So, you know, it's an excuse to not clean my room. <laughs> It'll all work out in the end. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I've, I've, because I've been lifting my bed and putting stuff under it, I've been thinking about these things. I've been cleaning. Minion, do we still have the steam carpet cleaner around? <laughs> I think it got taken back. No, it's, it's still here. It should be here. Oh, thank God. Ah, because I need to. Oh boy, the the layers of dust that I discovered when I started moving stuff—it's <laughs> pretty—it's it's really awful. So, Jeez. yeah. So you should see like the I've been like moving my feet, and there are these like I I'll, I will ball up these strips of dust, <laughs> so like little black balls and stuff like that. And part of that is because I had these terrible old socks. Don't buy socks from, don't buy anything from Walmart. So I bought these socks from Walmart and uh, they shed everywhere and uh, they shed. And so I just stopped wearing those socks. I bought new socks and they seem to be working out. I don't think they're going to last, but they're working out and they don't do this. But I, but I have the legacy of having all these little black, it's kind of like having sweater fluff, but imagine that except it sheds off you. And it's on my feet and it goes all over the floor on carpet. So yeah, so I have cleaning to do while cleaning. I will rearrange stuff. I will figure out where things go. I will get more space out of this, out of this room and I can rearrange stuff. And I'm, I'm getting some additional equipment in to to very fiercely fix and place and make perfect this webcam because I've had it on arms, I've had it dangling around, I've had it on clamps. Like, nope, nope, I'm affixing it to a double ball clamp directly to my wall. And it's gonna be screwed in, threaded with, with audio stuff. It's gonna have every access it will be able to tilt on. Um, if I have to, I've got a 
what's called an active USB cable, which is a powered USB 3 cable. So I, I, can, I can have perfect, pure power to it, um, et cetera, et cetera. I'm, I'm, ordering, I'm ordering new things, so I'm going to get another four USB 3.0 Gen 1 ports on this desktop, and I'll, I'll free up a couple of USB 3.1 Gen 2, which will be really good if I figure out how to get a dock or something like that for that little hard drive. It'll double the speed which might matter more for me than you, Minion. I think I will be taking over the archivism side of things because I'm better at that. Um, you know, and we're going to take a break, uh, uh, but uh, Minion, we're done with the show, but we're going to, Minion and I are going to take a break and then we're going to, I'm going to train him off show, off stream Uh-oh. to teach you how to do the editing stuff. It'll be really easy. And, and I will do the old shows and we'll gently bring you up to speed and not right away, but within the next couple of shows, you will be competent because I'm, I'm convinced um, it's pretty straightforward. Even Audacity, I just, uh, I got rid of all of it. You're not fiddling with anything. You're just doing some really basic controls. And once that gets done and maybe documented, I think maybe we can share that. Maybe that could be one of our like, visual shows when we're not quite ready to have people on uh, on webcam we could actually like show a desktop and just go through and think hey this is our procedure and make like a half hour regular youtube video we happen to be editing we happen to be filming it live but then after the fact we edit it up and make it like a regular youtube video like how to really easily do a podcast using audacity a no fuss way like, and just, this is 20 minutes. This is everything you need. We're going to talk about everything done because <laughs> I can do that real well. So yeah, we're, we're, we're pointing that direction. This is going to be a great step. And one day we'll get you competent enough to learn some of the audio engineering because it would be really nice if we need to discover what you're good at, <laughs> make use of you. <laughs> Once this is done, right? There's, there's going to be no thinking involved. It's just, hey, you run this macro, <laughs> you select this stuff, you run this macro, we're done. So that will be, I, I want to get rid of the auto engineering requirements, just make it kind of magic. Okay, so we're done. Uh, we're going to be back next Sunday, uh, where we're going to work on show number 22. This has been 2020 23 episode 21. Thank you all for joining us. I will see you soon.